This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, for the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm probably going to be preaching some stuff that relates to Christmas. I tell you, Christmas is one of my favorite times of year. And in Matthew chapter 1, we see how Matthew starts off the whole entire New Testament with a list of genealogy. The very first thing we see in the New Testament is a list of who Jesus was related to if you traced his bloodline back. Of all the things that you could have started off the New Testament with, this is it. And there's a reason behind that. It goes back to the promises that God had been making all along. We'll start reading there in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 where it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar, and Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias. And Ozias begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud, and Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Before we go any further, ask you to join me in prayer. God, we thank you that we see in your word, nothing is here for no reason. We see here what could basically be described as a perfect genealogy of imperfect people. 
You used these imperfect people to bring about your promises that you had made years and years before. You had been telling your people that you would send the Messiah. And you kept your word. We thank you for that. We pray this morning that you help us to realize just how wonderful it is that you sent your Savior from this bloodline of imperfect people. We pray that you'd be with our church this morning, that you would guide us in the direction you would have us to go. We pray for those around us who are lost, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Help us to share the gospel with them before it's too late, that you would give us a burden to tell others about Jesus Christ. We pray for the many that are on our prayer list, that you meet those needs in accordance with your will, and that you would help us to understand your will as you do so. We pray that you just continue to guide us, that we would serve you well. We pray that you'd help us when we leave here this morning to take not just what we see here, but all that we see throughout your word and to apply it in our lives, that we would live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you, that we would serve you, and that we would follow your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name because we love him. Amen. Now, I don't know about most of you, but I like genealogy. I kind of like knowing who I'm related to, even when sometimes, to be honest, when I've looked into my own genealogy, you find things that are interesting that you might not say are the best things. I know if you trace back my family lineage on my grandmother's side, much of my family liked to deny it, but about half a dozen generations back, one of them had descendants not only by his wife, but by his slave. And so there were a bunch of people that lived right down the road from us that half the family wouldn't claim that were related to us through that lineage. And so a lot of times in our minds, we like to cover up the things in our genealogy that we don't want to talk about, don't we? We want to sweep those under the rug, don't we? But you notice Matthew here, he gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ and shows us how God was keeping his promise through this genealogy. But notice what Matthew does not do. Matthew doesn't sweep anything under the rug with this genealogy either, does he? He tells it all, tells the good and the bad, but it shows us how God used the good and the bad to keep his promise. What he promised to Abraham. He kept his promise when he promised to David. He kept his promise to the Israelites who would be exiled to Babylon. He's a God who keeps his promise. We'll look at three things this morning. The first thing we're going to look at is that God keeps his promise to Abraham. 
Notice here, it tells us this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. It tells us that the very first thing is this is the book of the generation, his bloodline. He says he's the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham. Now think about those two things. The first one he starts with, obviously he goes all the way back as he's breaking down this bloodline to Abraham. Now whereas when Luke gives his genealogy of Christ, he goes all the way back to Adam. But here, Matthew goes to Abraham. It tells us Abraham, who God had promised to bless. We're very familiar with that. God promised to bless Abraham, and so it tells us Abraham begat Isaac. We all are probably very familiar with these verse, first few names here in these verses. Abraham begat Isaac. We know that story. Abraham at that time still called Abram. Old man. His wife called Sarai. Old woman. They eventually, after some mistakes and misgivings, end up with a son named Isaac. It says Isaac begat Jacob. You already see the problems in the bloodline starting to show up here with the whole entire Israelite race. Jacob, the old hill grabber, the deceiver. He tricked his brother out of the birthright for some stew. And he goes on, Jacob. We get Judas and his brethren. So we get to the bloodline of Judah. It tells us how he had fairies and Zerah of Tamar. You see, this is not a pretty picture. How God is sending this bloodline already. You know, God has promised Abraham he'd bless him. He says, you know, and you... All the people of the earth shall be blessed. And your descendants. Now here we already see we're the Pharisees and Zerah of Tamar. This is Judah's daughter-in-law whom he has two children with. Now notice that Matthew's not trying to cover up the dirt in the genealogy of Christ, some people will say that, you know, these bloodlines were written after the fact to kind of prove that Jesus was the Messiah. If this was after the fact to make him look good, why in the world does Matthew put that in there? You know, he puts it, he's a descendant of Judah, but he's a descendant of Judah by Tamar. And then, 
fairies begat Esram. Esram begat Aram. Aram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nason. Nason begat Simon. And then we start to get to some names we'll recognize again. Simon begat Boaz. Rahab. Now, of course, we've kind of looked at Rahab in our Wednesday nights. As we went through the book of Joshua. Rahab turned to belief in God, but what was Rahab's background? Rahab the harlot. Rahab who had been a prostitute. So already we've got that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, but he's also the descendant of a bloodline that points to the fact that he was a descendant of a man who slept with his daughter-in-law. We've already got that he's the descendant of a prostitute. And it tells us now that from Boaz, which, of course, we recognize that name, too, begat Obed of Ruth. Now, Ruth, of course, is a little more favorable, but yet still a Moabite woman. The Moabites would have been regarded as a lesser people by the Jews. It says, Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Once again, one well, of those things that had they been writing this they, to point to Jesus being just so wonderful and they were trying to make this after the fact, they probably would have swept that one under the rug. But Matthew's being honest with us how God works, isn't he? Then Obed begat Jesse and Jesse begat David the king. So now we've gotten all the way through this genealogy. We've seen some favorable things, but we've seen a lot of unfavorable things. And we've got to the bloodline of David, which is the first section that Matthew breaks this bloodline into, telling us the descendants leading all the way from Abraham to Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Now notice the way he breaks this down. He breaks this down to 14, 14, and 14. Fourteen. Of course, we know our math. It's two times seven. So you've got six groups of seven, and so when you get to Jesus Christ, you're on the seventh one. You know, kind of like when you see over there in the Old Testament, they're talking about the Jubilee. Going around the seventh. The Sabbath day comes around the seventh one. You know, he's showing us just how perfectly God put this all together. A perfect plan with imperfect people. And it even had 
a more minor point to it. Because what was God's promise to Abraham? We know where that's at. He says to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now God's pretty good at giving a little taste of things, and then giving a better version of it later on, isn't it? We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see these prophecies that we read about in the Old Testament, and they'll kind of halfway come true but then a greater fulfillment comes later. And we see that here, don't we? We see that in Matthew 12 in these first few verses. Because he told Abraham, you know, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Where do we see the climax of the kingdom of Israel? Right here where this division is in these generations. David the king, considered to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. But you know what? Something better was coming, wasn't it? It says, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It wasn't just about the Israelites and the great nation, it was about blessing all nations. Now we know things get better with time. A lot of things do, don't they? You think about if you, you have an instrument that's made of wood. They say that those instruments, the longer they sit around, the older they get, the prettier they sound. It's what I've been told. I don't have enough of a musical ear to know that for sure, but that's what they tell me. At home, I've got a guitar that belonged to my great-grandmother. My great-grandfather ordered it for her out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog when they were dating and walked 10 miles to give it to her. And you know, I don't know anything about music. I, I can just barely play the thing enough to entertain myself and certainly not well enough to entertain anybody else. But it sounds pretty to me. It's just something about the way it sounds because it's old and the way that it's aged, it has a nice sound to it because it's aged. It's got better with time, I think. And we know a lot of things that the longer they sit, the, the more time that's put into them, the better they get. You make a stew. You simmer that thing. You let it slow cook, right? And you can just list lots of different things and they get better the further on you go. And we see that here with the way God worked this genealogy. You've went from Abraham to David and, you know, it seems like that's as good as it could get, right? But it's not. It gets better. 
It gets way better than David. It gets to the one that David calls Lord. And that's the blessing of God fulfilled. That's how God fulfilled what he said over there in Genesis 12. That's what he was talking about. Don't touch it. This morning, first of all, we can see that the blessing of God is fulfilled in Christ. God was keeping his promise to Abraham. When he said he's going to bless Abraham, he was talking about Jesus. And Matthew is pointing that out to us. He's showing us how God had that plan when he says, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And he worked it. He even worked it through a bunch of things that we'd probably try to sweep under the rug if it was by our mindset. And we're not done with the things that would be swept under the rug yet. But all these things God used to keep his promise. But we see God didn't just keep his promise to Abraham, did he? God keeps his promise to David. Look at the next part of this genealogy. Because it tells us he's the son of David and the son of Abraham. Jesse begat David the king, but tells us that David the king begat Solomon. And right off the bat, once again, we have another one of those things that you'd probably want to sweep under the rug. David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now we know who this is. A woman named Bathsheba. We're all familiar with the story. David, who should have been out doing what kings were supposed to do, out there leading his army into battle. Instead, was hanging out at the palace and looking off the balcony when he should have been out there fighting a war. Let his eyes wander, got himself in trouble, and, and thought, well, I'll solve this problem. I'll get Uriah come on back home. And Uriah wouldn't do what he wanted. So ultimately, he has... Uriah killed in battle. Has him pull back and retreat and takes this woman as his wife. Now God did not allow David and Bathsheba to keep their first child. But the child that ascends the throne after David <laughs> Is their second born. A man named Solomon. But he's born out of what started as an adulterous affair. Now think about that. He's, like I said, Matthew's not sweeping the things under the rug, is he? We've already seen a man who had children by his daughter in law. We've already seen the descendant 
of a prostitute. We've already seen a Moabite woman, and now we have on top of that an adulterous affair listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You want to tell me God can't use imperfect people to bring about his plan? Matthew's showing us he sure can. And then we go on. Solomon begat Revolam, and Revolam begat Abia, and Abia begat Asa, Asa begat Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Osias, Osias begat Jotham, Jotham begat Achaz, Achaz begat Ezekias, Ezekias begat Manassas, Manassas begat Ammon, Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren. About the time they were carried away to Babylon. Now, if you want to know what this genealogy looks like here, I'd encourage you to go home and spend some time in First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You know what we find about most of the kings? Most of the people that were of this bloodline, the majority of them were wicked and ungodly people. That's just all there is to it. I, if we tried to list off every ungodly thing that, that this bloodline has in it, we'd be here probably past supper time tonight at least. But once again, we see God telling that he's going to fulfill what he said through some imperfect people. Now what had God said? You go over to Isaiah 11. It tells us there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither reprove after the hearing of his ears but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall, shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins the wool shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hull of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this part. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Now who do we think Isaiah is talking about right there? And you could find this is not the only place we see 
where it talks about David and points to Christ. As we see, God had been telling David that he was going to bless him with a descendant. That he was going to have a descendant who would be the Messiah. That's what he told him. Now, David wasn't perfect. But we see this bloodline, once again, is pointing to a fulfillment, isn't it? Now, we know that fulfillment. didn't come here you look at even the best one of these kings you got one or two that were decent kings but by and large men who were not all that great of kings you take Solomon who's supposed to have been the wisest man that ever lived I know we've talked about this before. Wisest man that ever lived, but yet 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if that's the wisest man that ever lived, that says a lot about the rest of us, doesn't it? Because he sure doesn't sound too bright to me. That tells me I probably, probably ain't all that bright myself. But you see, God uses these imperfect men. Keep his promise to David. Now, all the way to the Babylonian exile, he traces this. How he's keeping his promise, even though it doesn't come to fulfillment there. Now, isn't it amazing how God can make something real nice out of something that looks pretty awful? This period here we see is basically the decline of the Israelites. From David on is the decline of the Israelite kingdom. And that's just all there is to it. It's a decline. They get worse, but God takes something that's awful and makes something good out of it. You know, I see a lot here lately on Facebook of these people that take these old pieces of wood that look like they ought to be junk. I don't know if any of the rest of you have seen these, but they'll take these old pieces of wood that look like they ought to be junk. They've got holes in them and everything else, and they'll take that thing that's resin, that they pour in there and they make these beautiful tables out of it. Beautiful things that they build out of what I probably would say would be scraps that I'd burn in a campfire. You know, I would look at that and say, that's a piece of junk. That's not straight enough to make a board out of. That's something to throw out. 
and yet something beautiful made out of it. Now, doesn't God do that here? You look at this genealogy you see here. And I'm sorry, but looking at it, it looks like one of those things that, you know, you'd think God would say, well, I'm going to pick a different genealogy and take this through because this one's a bunch of junk. But he doesn't. He uses that junk genealogy. bring about his promise because it's great you know he promises David that he'd establish his kingdom forever that's what he tells David he says you know I'm going to establish the kingdom of your descendant forever he's certainly not talking about Solomon because after Solomon, the kingdom falls apart. He's certainly not talking about any of these others. Because the kingdom gets worse in their day and time. He's talking about Christ. Which is far better than what David ever could have imagined. You know, David probably thought, when God told him he'd establish his kingdom forever, he's probably thinking a little less about Christ and a little more about his kingdom. But it's better than he ever could have imagined. We see this morning, we can trust that God's promise is greater. You know, God keeps his promise to David and he keeps it better than David probably ever could have imagined. He certainly keeps it better than this bloodline did. God's promise is greater. But you know, God doesn't just keep his promise to Abraham and his promise to David. God keeps his promise to the exile. Look at what this tells us. It says, Josiah begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. They go into Babylonian captivity. Now God had promised David that, you know, this kingdom that wasn't going in from his descendants. But now the Israelites, their kingdom is basically went away. The Israelites are captive by the Babylonians. They're brought to Babylon. It says, Jeconias begat Salathiel. Salathiel begat Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begat Abiud. Abiud begat Eliakim. Eliakim begat Azor. Azor begat Sadok. Sadok begat Achim. Achim begat Eliud. Eliud begat Eleazar. Eleazar begat Mathen. And Mathen begat Jacob. Now, most of these names we don't know. The Israelite kingdom took a downhill turn. Oh my God. Went away. 
into Babylonian captivity. And you look at the time that this is talking about, basically the time of the prophets, and then for about 400 years after the prophets, nothing. God's silent for about 400 years. Now think about that. God had promised his people that he would deliver them. You know, he promised them the day of the Lord is coming. And they're waiting for it. And they're waiting for one who brings that coming day of the Lord. think about this when God went silent what was the last thing we see when God went silent for that 400 years the last six verses of the Old Testament for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea and all that do wickedly shall be stubble and the day that cometh shall burn them up saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts, Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So what do we see? Prophecy of the coming day of the Lord. We see also him telling them that when that day comes, when he sends... This one who is to come. That day when the Son of Righteousness arises, who's going to be coming before him? He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And 400 years of silence leading up to and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So 400 years that later, after that silence is broken, how is it broken? What is the very first thing we see? God addressing the people? You go over there and look and you see it. That silence is broken when the angel of the Lord catches an old man named Zacharias who is in there serving in the temple and tells him that him and his wife are going to have a son. It says that he's going to not only turn 
many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, it says, He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So when that silence is broken 400 years later, what is it broken by? Somebody saying, well, this one who's coming is a fulfillment of that. That's talking about John the Baptist being the one who fulfills that. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But then who comes about six months after old John the Baptist, the son of righteousness. Now think about that. 400 years, they're probably at the point of giving up on God at this point. God hasn't spoken 400 years and all of a sudden, here's the Messiah. And right on time, because you notice it says, from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. This time that God spoke less and less and then went silent. But yet God had it all in his plan and it was perfectly planned. 14 generations. God doesn't forget about the Israelites even though they're rebellious and ended up exiled. Does he? He doesn't forget that he promised them a Messiah even when they've been disobedient to him. God keeps his promise. And he keeps his promise when they're probably least expecting it. Now, don't we like things when we're not expecting them? If they're good things? We like surprises. Or at least I know I do. I like good surprises. Now, of course... Not too fond of bad ones, but I like good surprises. Now you think about what a good surprise this would be. All these years later, now all of a sudden, it tells us Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So this makes it where the carrying away into Babylon under Christ are 14 generations. They weren't expecting it, but it was right on time. You know, we see this. We see that God never failed man, did he? God never failed these exiled people. You look in the Old Testament, they're crying out to God, but God never failed them. Now, they certainly failed God. We all do. But they certainly failed God. You see it. When you read the prophets, read those Old Testament prophets and see what they talked about. The Israelites failed God. God never forgot what he said he was going to do. You know, this morning we can recognize the faithfulness of God. God's faithful. Here, at the end of this genealogy, through a bunch of people that we might say are no-name characters, all the way to a poor backwoods carpenter living in the region of Galilee, 
And then you get to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right on time, right when you should have got to him. God's faithful. God never forgot his plan. God was orchestrating it all the time. And that's what we see here. God's faithful. His faithfulness in sending his son right when he intended to. You know, this morning we've seen a lot of names, a lot of people in the genealogy of Christ. Many of which, that if they were in our own genealogies, we'd probably try to sweep them under the rug. We wouldn't want to admit we were related to them. But yet we see that God keeps his promise to Abraham. He blesses all the people of the earth through a descendant of Abraham. God keeps his promise to David. He tells David that, you know, he's going to raise up this root. His rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch will grow out of his root. You know, this root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. He kept that promise. And God keeps his promise to the exiled. He told them right before he goes silent, the day of the Lord is coming. When it comes, I'm going to send Elijah as a forerunner. He sends one to act just like Elijah to fulfill exactly what he said he was going to do. And then sends the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ. You know, this morning what we can take away from this is we can trust God's perfect plan in the birth of our Savior. You think about how perfectly God orchestrated this, that you've got these six groups of seven there, and then on the seventh one, you get to this big, major climax point, if you were figuring the way the Israelites would have figured, and then you find Jesus Christ right there. You couldn't ask for a better plan. And a wonderful plan using imperfect people. You know, if that doesn't tell you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, I don't know what does. As a believer, I can look at that and I can see just how wonderful my God is. That when he sent his son, we celebrate Christmas every year, but when... He sent his son. He sent his son in such a perfect way using such imperfect people to orchestrate that. And that ought to make me thankful. For the lost person, that right there ought to convince you that this Bible is true. If God didn't do what he said he was doing, then I promise you all that bad stuff would have been swept under the rug, but it wasn't. Instead, God shows us how he was using that all along to carry out the birth of the Savior who came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose again. It was all in his plan. The bad stuff, the good stuff, all of it. And we can trust that we've got a God who kept his promise.